Hello to all you wonderful listeners. This is Julie Baumgartner, and welcome to the first episode of Rise Up with Julie Baumgartner, where we talk with specialists in their field of expertise and flesh out facts and tips to apply to our own life. Our guests have a fan base either because of their expertise, they've given back and invested in their communities, or engaged in relationship building contributing to their success. Our discussion today is mental health, and our guest has been in healthcare for more than 40 years. She owns and operates six residential care facilities for the chronically mentally ill in the state of Arkansas. She is a licensed nursing home administrator, a licensed social worker, and a licensed residential care administrator. She is well known in her state of Arkansas as a mental health advocate and recently appealed to Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson on behalf of continued funding for health care for those with mental illness. Today, we welcome Linda Short. Thank you. Linda, can you clarify what we are discussing when we say mental health? Yes, there's all aspects of mental health. There's social anxiety, there's a seasonal depression, um, and then there is certainly more severe. There is depression that lasts quite a long time. Uh, that's a chemical depression. There's also manic depressant, bipolar, schizophrenic. It just depends on what degree of mental health issue that you are facing. What do you think we can do to shift people's perspective um, from a negative connotation of what people have thought about mental health in the past? Well, especially in this area in Arkansas, we've come a long way. People are not so afraid of mental health issues now, but because of funding, um, many, many people don't seek mental health treatment. Their insurance won't cover it or they don't have insurance coverage. And also some people, there's still the stigma that, well, you just need to straighten up or get your act together, that kind of thing. So, but yes, as far as coming a long way, we have. I was reading some statistics the other day, and it said that about half of the people that have mental illness do not get treated. Yes, it's a documented proof that most adults have some sort of depression or mental health issue 8 to 12 years. Some people have had it their whole life, but adults wait 8 to 12 years to seek professional help. What would you recommend to those in need of hope if they suspect they are going down that dark hole mentally? Well, it's sometimes very hard when you have a mental health issue to realize that you do. And if you do have a support group or you have someone you're close to, that person, I would urge them, if their personality has changed, if they're more anxiety-stricken, if they're withdrawn, they don't want to be around friends or family, maybe they've lost weight, maybe they're very emotional, or maybe they even strike out with anger issues, talk to those people. Ask them what's going on. Is it something that's just happening now, or has this happened in the past, and does it continue to happen? What stories can you tell us, without mentioning names, about your experiences having been in healthcare for more than 40 years? Well, as I said, we have many residents. People forget that people that have mental health issues are doctors and lawyers or bankers, their mothers, their dads, their brothers and sisters. 
And, you know, we've had some people that have had sexual abuse problems and drug addiction, and they've had that from a very early age. We've had some that there's been a death with someone very close to them, and they've not been able to pull out of that. I can tell you in my own life, it's easy to tell about someone else's story, but in my own life, I know that after a long years of marriage, um, I got a divorce, and I had a very severe depression, very withdrawn, very sad, very hopeless, but thanks to a psychiatrist, prayer, and medication, I was able to overcome that, and I'm off that medication, and then I had two cancers in a short period of time, and there was depression again, and not knowing the future, but know who holds the future, and um, taking treatment, and taking medication, and I was very blessed and overcome that. And then there comes COVID-19, and I've had episodes of feeling very sorry for myself, very anxiety-stricken, not knowing really what direction to take. And the main thing is to stop, to breathe, to look around the situation, evaluate it, and sometimes in depression you're not able to do that. And if you're not, go to a family member or a friend and say, hey, I need to talk to you. I need, I've got something on my mind. I've got something that's bothering me. And then seek out professional help. How long, you mentioned after you were, and you were going through a divorce, how long did it take you before you realized, hey, I'm in depression and I need help? And how long did it take you to seek that help? I knew immediately. And I was seeking help immediately. But you've got to remember, I'm in the healthcare. Mm -hmm. That's a different, I don't have that stigma. I don't have that fear. Many, many people that are going through the death of a child, many people that are going through the death of a spouse, um, a physical condition, whether it be diabetes, kidney failure, cancer, it doesn't matter. Many people think, now listen, I can get it together. I don't need help. And if you have a spiritual relationship that will also help. Prayer helps, but sometimes, you know, God wants us to seek. If he didn't want us to seek help, he wouldn't have had doctors. He wouldn't have had treatment. So, as I said, it's easy when you're a healthcare professional to say, listen, there's something wrong. But if you're not, there's still that stigma. Uh, I could just snap out of this. That's not true in many times. Do you think others around you were aware what you were going through, or did you feel like you needed to shield them from what was happening? Great you. question. They knew exactly, especially my daughter. She knew exactly what was going on, and she was there for support. But when you're a strong person, we don't like for people to see that we're weak. And that doesn't, that, I'm not referring to me. I'm referring to anyone. We want to be strong. We want to be that mortar. We want to be that example. And there comes a time with mental health issues that it's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to breathe, set boundaries, and say no. It's okay to say, I've got to step down from this position. I've got to not volunteer and to heal your body and to heal your mind and then move forward. So seeking care when you know you're going through a rough patch is actually empowering. It's absolutely empowering. It's number one. It gives you that feeling of I have control over my life and we all need to feel that we're in control. When we feel like we're out of control, it's just like my residents. When their medication's not correct, or maybe they've missed an appointment with their therapist or even their doctor, and their life gets out of control, you know, they come to us 
and they say, listen, something's not right. We have many people that say we're very, very blessed in the Fort Smith area. We have Five West or crisis stabilization. We just had a resident this week that said my medicine's not right. Things are not well, and I need to go and be stabilized. And she was admitted. So there are resources. Don't be afraid to ask. Call someone. You can call me even if you don't know me. My number is 479-650-7397. Call Crisis Stabilization. Call your pastor. Call a mental health professional, Western Arkansas Council and Guidance, Valley Senior Care. We have lots of resources that can help you. Can you give us three to five things to do for someone facing a mental health crisis? Well, there's a long, long list. Number one, you must be aware that something's wrong. You don't know necessarily that it's a mental health issue. You just know something's wrong. Number two, try, if you can focus and stay focused, to evaluate what is different in my life. Number three, I always tell people, whether they're a Christian or not, pray about it. Ask God. He's open 24 hours a day. Say, God, I need help. And then I tell people to write down what they're thinking, their thoughts, and then immediately contact someone. I need help. Never be ashamed to say, I need help. The key is recognize something's not right and seek help. It may not be with a psychiatrist. It may not be with a therapist. But let someone know, hey, things aren't right. What would you say to someone who knows that things are not right, but they know that they'll be judged by maybe their peers or maybe by their work environment or even their family, um, that they would feel shame coming forward? I would say... That's a hard position to be in. Um, most of my friends and associates, they'd step forward for you. But you have to be bold. Even though you're weak, no matter what the mental health issue is, even though you're weak, you have to find the strength. You have to not be concerned about what someone else says. It's about you. It's about your inner being. It's about your safety it's about you being able to live life and being productive. And I would tell you, you can find the strength. You can find the strength to step out and say, I'm not okay, and I have to seek help. You mentioned that there are many medications that will help stabilize moods. Um, but what else can a person do? What are some natural ways, maybe food, um, that you can do, that you should do, or that you should avoid? Um, are, there, are there certain <laughs> food triggers? Absolutely. Uh, we don't like to talk about food because we're a society that likes to eat. We like to eat when we're healthy. We like to eat unless we're in a severe depression and we can't eat. We like to eat. We socialize with food and also food makes us feel better about ourselves. You know, we can be anxiety-stricken, and we can eat in private, and food doesn't talk back to us. It gives us that approval. And so I would ter I would urge you, and I'm one that's had to learn that over the years, if you have, whether it's for your health or whether it's a mental health issue, avoid sugar. Avoid caffeine. No. Caffeine absolutely keys you up. 
it makes if you take if you are taking medication it can make that medicine excel and not do what it's supposed to do i'm not saying not drink one cup of coffee i'm saying don't drink five cups of coffee i'm not saying maybe drink half a coke don't drink five cokes you know caffeine and sugar try very very hard to eat something high in protein, eat vegetables, eat salads, meats that are high in protein, that that would make me go back to the homeless population. You know, if they're hearing voices or they're not able to understand their medication and they're not taking it properly and they're drinking alcohol or they're taking high caffeine drinks or sugar, um, that is definitely a no-no and that will make their mental health issues a lot more severe. Can you um, expand a little bit on the homeless environment and mental health? Yes. Um, We take many, many residents that have been at one time homeless and are homeless. And remember, those are human beings. Uh, Those are people that are, for some reason, have chosen to be homeless or beyond their circumstances and their control, they're homeless. the homeless population are at an advantage. And, you know, we talk about panhandlers. That's a whole lot different, a panhandler, than a homeless mental health patient and a client and a resident. You know, these are people that um, we, we like to use that term, down on their luck. Well, you know, they're not getting the proper medication 99% of the time. They're not eating right. They're not sleeping right. And so we must, and there must be funding, and I know cities are bombarded with funding issues, and I know state government is bombarded, but mental health issues is not a Democrat or Republican problem. It is an American problem. It is throughout the United States, and we must find resources to get homeless off the street, to get them mental health treatment, to get them drug and alcohol programs, to get them back into society. And I'm not so foolish to know that some homeless people don't want that. And some homeless people's illness are so severe that they refuse treatment. And so we can't save the world, that old saying goes. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that there are many, many people that are off the street and that are living productive lives today. It can be done. I think a lot of people think sometimes people are homeless because that was their choice. And in all truth, mental health issues led to them being homeless. 90% of all people that are homeless have mental health issues. 90%. 10% choose to be homeless. That's a very small percentage compared to those that we could get off the street and get them into housing and get them back into society. What lessons have you learned in your daily environment working with those at your mental health care facilities? I've learned that many residents are angry at the loss of their independence, at the loss of control of their life. I've learned that many, many persons, residents, have real sadness, real grief. But I've also learned that many, many people, many residents of ours and out in the community, they need love. They need to be accepted. They need to be told they're okay, uh, that we love you. Uh, They need to be given that assistance to get that mental health treatment to get the proper medication, for them to take that medication at the correct time, to get three well-balanced meals a day, to be able to shower, to sleep in a clean bed. The things that we accept and we expect, not only do we accept, we expect 
as a society. The biggest thing that I've learned in all of my years is that we must be their voice until they can find their own. Whether it's a child, my expertise is not children, it's adults, and that's what I've dealt in, but we must be their voice. We can't just drive by, we can't just walk by. They may tell us no, and they may even curse at us, and they may say, leave us alone, and if we do, if they do, then we have to respect that. But there are many people out there that want help, they're afraid to ask for it, and we have to be their voice. We have to be open, we have to listen. You know, as a Christian, I'm a Christian-based company, and as a Christian, I can tell you God has never spoke to me in a loud, audible voice, but he's quickened my spirit that I know. But I also know that I have to set boundaries, and I have to set limits, and I have to respect those boundaries and limits and not step over those. I have that mothering instinct that I'd like to just take control and let me fix that. Well, that's not the plan. They have to be willing to meet part way. Maybe it's not give 50-50, but they have to be willing to start. You have to crawl before you walk, and then when you walk, you can run. Explain the difference between wanting someone to conform to society's expectations and truly caring for their well-being. Well, myself, I believe if you are in the mental health business, that you really, really, truly care, that it's not just a job. I do believe it's a calling. Um, I believe you're called by God to do it. Some people might disagree with that, and that's certainly fine. But I know the people that I've been honored to work with over the years, they're called by God. I can tell you. They have a calling on their life. They go that extra mile. They go that extra step. You know, they show that love and that caring, but yet, they know when to step back. There are some people that don't want help. And as hard as that is to realize, it's like our children. You know, when our children don't want help, we have to step back. Well, when you have a mental health person, you have to step back unless that person is in danger. In our facilities, we know when a resident is in danger that they might harm themselves or they might do something, and then we step in. You use the term residents and not patients. Why? Well, because they're not patients. Patients are in a hospital. Patients are um, in a psychiatric unit. These are residents. This is their home in the residential care. This is their home. This is where they live, and they're paying rent to live there, uh, and so they're a resident there. And so we just never have used that word patient. We just don't, I don't know, it's just something that, I know, they don't like it either. Mm -hmm. They want to be called a resident. To what degrees, like, would a resident be someone who was immobilized because of such severe depression, or are we talking schizophrenia or, or all of it? It just depends. Depression can be so severe that we feel like sometimes we talk to them and we need to send them um, either to Five West Crisis Stabilization or we need to send them to a psychiatric hospital. You know, we like it when we can just call the doctor, their psychiatrist, or the therapist, and it can be managed. People do better at home, and that is their home. And they do better in those surroundings with people. My staff love them and care for them, and they do better. But when they start to hear voices, or they have different personalities, or um, they just are not completely with it, not alert, delusional, thinking someone's out to get them, then we know that they're gonna be demobilized and they need to go to the hospital. 
What are the biggest challenges we face in understanding, understanding, excuse me, in caring for those with a severe mental illness? Well, we must um, get all the training we can get. Just because you're a CNA or a PCA, a personal care assistant, you're the core. You're the core. You're the ones that are hands-on with those people. And we must provide training for them. We must provide a mental health training um, so that they'll know about crisis stabilization, as you hear in the community that the police department um, is being trained. We just honored the Barling Police Department yesterday with a cookout at the facility. We, so, we social distance six feet, but we honored them because uh, of the mental health treatment that they give our residents. They're so kind and sometimes they have to be strict, but there's lots of training. Let me urge you, call your local mental health center, find out about training um, and get trained. Nursing homes train their people, residential care train their people, assisted living train their people. There's online courses that you can take and learn more about mental health. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Tell us why, kind of how this came about um, and what it means in a nation's move towards better understanding. Well, you're 100% correct, it is Mental Health Month. But to us, every day is Mental Health Day. Um, and I think it's wonderful that we honor the healthcare professionals, and I think it's wonderful that we honor cancer and heart and all of those. But the movement came many, many years ago, and it was the national level. And I'm ashamed to have to say this. It is a shame that a celebrity has to have a mental health issue before the states recognize it. And that's certainly not anything ne negative. I thank God that celebrities have the power and the social media to do that. And they bring that awareness to it. But just remember, mental health begins within us. It begins with us. One voice can make a difference. Tell your local state representative, your local senator. It's not political. I want to say that again. It's not a Democrat or a Republican or an independent. It's an individual person. But tell them, tell the governor, you know, if you need to get together to rally, if you need to go to Little Rock in the state of Arkansas, do whatever you have to do for them to hear your voice. Because persons with mental health issues 99% of the time won't voice their concern to anyone. They'll say it won't do any good. You know, we can make a difference. What do you think makes others so uncomfortable speaking to someone with a known mental illness? Because I think they're afraid they'll get mad at them. They'll turn against them. Um, they won't love them anymore. They won't approve of them. They'll think they're stupid or they're ignorant, or they're crazy. I mean, I've had residents say, I can't tell my mom about that because she'll think I'm crazy, or it'll hurt her feelings. Or, you know, I've even had people say to me before, well, could you pray for me, but don't tell anybody. And I'll say, well, I'll certainly pray for you, but I need to call that to the prayer chain at my church. We need to all be praying. Well, they won't think I'm crazy. Well, of course they won't think you're crazy. So as I said, it goes back to one person starting, making a difference, being their voice. It shouldn't be a secret. Absolutely not. Linda, I so appreciate you being here today and sharing your expertise and also your, your heart 
for those with mental health issues and also to bring awareness um, going forward that we'll be a nation with more understanding and more compassion. So I'm just going to give you the floor for a moment and allow you to make any closing statements that you feel relevant to the topic. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I do want to just say it's not me. It's my staff that cares for the residents. Yes, I'm honored to be a part of it, but without the staff, about their expertise and their love and their care, we would not be successful. But I do have a couple things that I'd like to say. And again, thank you so much for honoring mental health awareness. Um, Just remember, if someone you love or someone you care about and they strike out at you or something's not right, remember, it seems like that they're seeking revenge on those in the present but it's because of what has happened in the past. They're not seeking revenge on you, even though it seems like that they are. And then one other thing that I would like to say is mental health issues, and I've always believed this from the bottom of my heart, mental health issues is not like a storm. It's not like rain and hail and wind or a tornado. Those things happen and they're over. Mental health issues are like an earthquake. The aftershocks, they last and they last and they last. So remember, when you're visiting or you're trying to help someone with a mental health issue, don't take it personally. They're not seeking revenge on you. And remember, this is probably not going to be a storm that passes very quickly. If it's a severe mental health issue, it's going to be an earthquake and it's going to have aftershocks. Pray Give them support and love, and I assure you, we can be in the future so much better for mental health issues. And Julie, again, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you. This has been excellent. You've been listening to Rise Up with Julie Baumgartner. Thank you for listening today. Rise up and let's be the best that we can be and listen to this podcast that will both motivate and educate. Thank you.